Welcome to this special edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. It's an open forum, and it's your time to call with your questions about the Bible, biblical teachings, and practical Christian living. Whatever's on your mind, call 631-955-5400 to be on the program, or text your question to Pastor Bill at 516-367-0391. Now, here's your host for today's open forum, Pastor Bill Shishko. And this is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you for our ever-popular open forums, potpourri of questions and answers that come from you. This is the program that you develop. We do this every month. And uh, as was mentioned before, if you'd like to call in and be on the program with your question, you're going to use 631-955-5400. Jot down the number for live call in, 631 955 Five four zero zero, or as most of you do, text questions to us, and we put them together for these open forums. Five one six three six seven zero three nine one. That'll get to put that under Pastor Bill. That'll get your texted question to us. Five one six three six seven zero three nine one. And we have gotten questions already. Interesting so far. Questions about the church and care for people at the end of life. Interesting. And then another kind of broad-ranging music for children and how that relates to music in church life. And then uh, one that we'll take a little bit more time on toward the end, especially given uh, political seasons coming up, Christianity and cultural influence, Christianity and cultural influences. And there'll be some book references for you, so have uh, something to jot information down. We'll be mentioning some books. Also, a number of Visit to the Pastor study programs from the archives that deal with these questions. So again, have something available to jot down that information. I'm thankful to have my co-pastor for a visit to the pastor's study today, Pastor Ben Miller, who is pastor of Trinity Church in Syosset, New York. Welcome, Pastor Ben. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's good to have us. Let's, let's go through the first question that we've got with the predominance, fascinated with the predominance of technology and social media I find that churches have weakened in their personal attention to end-of-life issues. Church members fade from attendance and die alone if their church family isn't intentionally attentive and physically present. How can the body of Christ combat this terrible growing phenomenon? That's a rich question from Monique in Fresh Meadows, Queens. Pastor Ben, have at it. It seems to me there might be a couple of uh, questions in this question. Um, one would be related to just the pervasiveness now of digital technology in our lives and, and ways that that has, in general, eroded our relationships. It sounds, though, like this might be focused in on a, on a more uh, specific question, which is how can we specifically um, be careful of, of that when it comes to our elderly or infirm or even, you know, disabled or mentally ill or people that can just kind of fade into loneliness and isolation um, in church life. Um, I'm going to assume that um, we're looking for a way forward, that, you know, we, we're, we're aware of the, the dangers of just kind of being swallowed up in the distractions of our time, and we actually want to take care of these saints who can become invisible to us. And so I think the the, 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 the 
question is how to how to have a practical, purposeful way forward in, in just you know getting at this reality that uh, Monique has mentioned. I do think this probably depends a little bit on church size. Um, there are churches that are so large where it's kind of easy to come in and out and remain more or less anonymous, and you could just kind of disappear um, uh, without being noticed. Um, and so in a larger church, I think it really might be necessary to have some staff assigned to, to this question. Um, in smaller churches, maybe it can be a little bit more organic, but I think the, the fundamental question I, I really believe all Christian communities need to be asking is just who notices the absence when people are absent? Who, who notices this? <laughs> There's this phrase that really stuck, struck me a while back, what is everybody's job is nobody's job. And so I think it's just too easy to sort of let the question of who would notice if an elderly person, let's say, just suddenly didn't show up for worship for a few weeks or didn't show up to church events for a few weeks. Who would notice that? If that's everybody's job, it's nobody's job. Yeah, so true. So I think we have to have people who are, you know, I don't, I don't want to use quite so clinical a word as assigned, but who, who really have it as kind of their focus. Who notices if people are missing? Um, and then, you know, the, the more positive side would just be, have we got someone who takes care of providing rides to people who maybe might not even physically be able to transport themselves? Are we making visits? You know, if there are multiple elders in a church, I think it would be really important to have, you know, an elder assigned um, to one or more people that could end up being shut-ins or are already shut-ins. Um, you know, phone calls, just keeping in touch. Actually, you know, elderly people... Um, are sometimes very active on social media, so that might be a way of keeping in touch with them. Um, and, and you know, and then of course hospitality, if they can get out. Um, one very special case is, of course, nursing home ministry. People that are actually shut in a, a nursing home context. Um, you know, in, in our previous pastoral experience together, uh, we, you and I, used to have worship services uh, in nursing homes for for people that were shut in, and that I think is a very powerful thing. So, um, and again, I would just want to underscore, this is not just for, for elderly people who are, you know, nearing the end of life. Um, it is for, you know, disabled, mentally ill people or, or, or whatever. Um, so there needs to be a plan. There needs to be people assigned to it. And then, of course, you have to execute the plan and maybe review it from time to time to make sure it's working. But it seems to me that if a church is willing to give some attention to this, it's, uh, it certainly can be done. Yeah. Yeah, especially the, the point that I want to reiterate that Pastor Ben said, uh, and again, we're, we're dealing with the, with the question with the predominance of technology and social media. I find that churches have weakened in their personal attention to end-of-life issues. Church members fade from attendance and die alone if their church family isn't intentionally attentive and physically present. I would add there's a spiritual aspect to that, too, um, in terms of our eternal lives, our, our spiritual lives. Church members can fade from attendance and die alone um, if if people aren't involved with them. Although I realize Monique's question is is about physical end of life mm. issues, and so we're dealing with with how the body of Christ can combat. And and she says a terrible growing phenomenon, and and it is. Um, but Pastor Ben said if it's if it's nobody's particular responsibility then it won't get done, and so be sure someone's assigned to it. Now, let me back up a little bit on this. Uh, we have a couple of Visit to the Pastor's Study programs that you can access from the archives. 
that deal with with um, medical and legal aspects mm. of end of life issues you can get those at uh, www.visitthepastorsstudy.org just uh, google and visit the pastor's study uh, but at visitthepastorsstudy.org you'll find the archives those are programs on September 30th of 2017 and November 25th of, of 2017. Um, but I'm May I just yeah, sure, a little bit there? Because, yeah, that's, a big, that's a, big, a big point. You know, we're talking a little bit about the, the, the mechanism of how this ministry can happen, uh, but I think what, what you're bringing out, which is so important, is also the content of it. I really do think it's important for churches to be maybe even having some discussion times yeah. and some learning times together about um, you know, the, the legal and ethical dimensions of, of actual end-of-life issues, and also just the kinds of spiritual care that um, are so important when people are facing, you know, end-of-life or, or, you know, other even kind of catastrophic things that can happen uh, well before the end-of-life. Uh, these are not pleasant topics, necessarily. They're not things that immediately jump out, like, yeah, let's talk about that, but they're, it's so important to know how to, how to bring spiritual comfort to bear on people who are suffering, on people who are dying, on people who have experienced death maybe catastrophically. And that's just something, uh, uh, there are great resources available to have those kind of conversations with the Church. Yeah. Yeah, Now, Pastor Ben, you've done things like this in your Sunday school program at Trinity Church in Syosset, right? We have a lot of discussions like this. We haven't actually zeroed in yet on end-of-life issues particularly, um, but it's something that's come up a number of times in, in my ministry, obviously in, in yours as well, uh, these things are out there, and people will be facing them more and more as technology advances to where end of life gets very complicated yeah. medically. Yeah, I, I urge you with Sunday school programs, uh, at least in, in my opinion, uh, a lot of times we can use that time with the adults for really the, the where the rubber meets the road kind of yeah. issues like this. Absolutely, I, I'm interested though in the references. I know you are, Pastor Ben. The predominance of technology and social media. And I, I think of the, the, the book with this haunting title, Alone Together, by yeah. Sherry Turkle, who is, I think, from the Massachusetts yep. Institute of Technology. And, and let's keep in mind that isolation, isolation in, in our <laughs> Facebook and, and heavily uh, contact culture, Isolation is regarded as second only to obesity is what's being called an epidemic in this country. And I think that highlights what we're dealing with. <clears throat> Excuse me. So how does this affect the church? Well, it's interesting to me that without painting with too broad of a brush, very often in, in churches, the church can become more of a concert than a community. At least the worship service can be that way. And the emphasis can be more on performance than on persons, and yeah. if that's the if that's the, the the metaphor for the church life that you're in, it's going to feed this. Uh, and as Pastor Ben was alluding to early on about the church, First Corinthians twelve through fourteen, we go back to the the fact that the church is a body, and it, and, yeah. and it must function that way. And I've even wondered. I'm just Pastor Ben and your comment on this. I've wondered sort of inside if if larger, you know, the mega churches or just larger churches in which programs can easily replace people have actually worked against uh, the, the very thing that Monique and Fresh Meadows is asking about. 
Well, this is an enormous topic. Ever so briefly, I think churches in the 21st century have got to be very, very purposeful about spending time together person to person. I mean, it sounds so simple, but I mean, meals together, being in each other's homes, not allowing kind of larger program events, or worse still, um, you know, merely digital communication to replace the, the simple physical reality of being together, um, and not just in worship. I, I, I just, I, I, this, this is a problem, this isolation problem is not just affecting the elderly, it is now becoming an epidemic among young it is. Christians, yeah. young teens who are spending less and less time even with their friends and more and more time alone in their rooms with their phones. And, and the statistics now about how this is affecting mental health in teens are actually quite frightening. Um, so well, it can just, lead to suicide. I mean, they're, they're seeing yeah. increasing suicide rates in yeah. young people because of this. Yeah, All right. and drug use and so on. And right. so, I mean, if, if churches have a very big opportunity right now to be that kind of alternative community model, um, and it's urgent. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and let me highlight in, in uh, Monique's question, end-of-life issues. The Church is about end-of-life issues. Yes. <laughs> we're, about, we're about the redemption that Jesus Christ brings into history that conquers death and brings in everlasting life. And, and in a real sense, the most important work of the Church is to prepare people for the life to come. And so, obviously, concerned for the elderly, where people who may not have been as spiritually sensitive when they were younger get sensitive, especially if they find out they have a terminal mm-hmm. illness and need hospice care or the dying. And, and I think First Timothy five three, um, where where Paul says, you know, the, the care of, of the widows, um, yeah. and, and where even piety is demonstrated in in in, in, a, in a special way by where yeah. care for the widows, well, at least our practice was. Uh, for when when we had the elderly, um, that particularly widows or widowers, we would always work with the family, the biological family yep. members, whether or not they were Christians, because they yep. had an obligation there. And then yep. there there are those cases where really the church is the only family these people have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And got to be honest about that and and, and deal with them. Um, so I, yeah. I, yeah, I wondered, Pastor Ben, other things related to that you'd want to develop. Uh, well, just something. For example, um, do do we know how to help people if they might be they might be struggling with their consciences as they near the end of right, life? Right. I mean, sometimes the most even faithful Christians really have fears about, you know. Are they are they okay with God, and, and do we know how to minister just the simple gospel to, to those from whatever background, um, whatever the life experiences have been? And and right, what you said, I was struck recently in Romans eight when it says, "What we're groaning for, that groaning of believers, is the redemption of our body." I mean, yeah. it's it is a very important part of ministering the gospel to be able to open up to people that really death opens the door into that for which we are groaning, which is to be with Christ, but beyond that, the resurrection, and really be able to stabilize people and strengthen people and even give people a sense of joy in that as they come to that door. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I would add, one of, the, one of the saddest things for me to experience uh, in my years of pastoral ministry would be to go to nursing homes 
and to visit members of the congregation that of which I was one of the pastors only to find people maybe in the next room or in the common area that never get would get visits yeah. from anyone even yeah. if biological children were still alive yeah. that becomes uh, a, a wonderful avenue. I mean, the people need to give you their permission to read Scripture and pray with them and so on, but what a wonderful avenue for evangelism. Well, it's, and that's a very big piece of this, right? It's not just our saints in the Church we need to be thinking about. This is a whole mission field, but yeah, that's a that needs to be talked about and thought about. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And one last thing, I appreciate when Pastor Ben mentioned in in the services, and we were associates for years, this is what he's referring to, although I'm sure he continues this at Trinity Church, Syosset. When we had the elderly in, in a nursing home, we would arrange to get members of the congregation to come, maybe quarterly, something like that, where we would have a, a little worship service and the Lord's Supper. And I, I cannot overstate that physicality of the yeah. bread and the wine is so yeah. important because at the end of life— Sometimes our, 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 our thoughts can be vague or nebulous, mm-hmm. cloudy, whatever. This is a tangible way in which Jesus says, as surely as you yes. eat these things, you are mine. So I can't overstate uh-huh. that. And, and then the last is, and, and, and then um, this is from Paul David Tripp's outstanding book, Suffering Gospel mm-hmm. Hope When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And he has a chapter on the comfort of God's people when he says, one of God's sweetest gifts to us between the already of our conversion and the not yet of our homegoing is the gift of the body of Christ. God makes his invisible grace visible by sending people of grace to give grace to people who need grace. His people are meant to be, this is beautiful, the look on his face the touch of his hand, speaking of God's, the sound of God's voice, the evidence of God's love, the picture of God's presence, and the visible demonstration of God's faithfulness. Paul David Tripp on suffering gospel. Great hope. Stuff. Oh, isn't it? When life doesn't make sense. And we're thankful to Crossways Books. They have provided us uh, a free copy of that. And so, uh, Monique, thank you for your good question. And uh, if you'd like that free copy of Paul David Tripp's book on suffering, you can just uh, text it. As you text it in your question, just text in your address, and we'll have that on the way for you next week. And we'll be back with question number two. This one's about music in the church and music with young people after this message from the voice of a visit to the pastor's study. That great city, New York. Metropolitan New York is the largest city in the United States. And with a population of over 20 million people, Metro New York is one of the largest cities in the world. And what's more, Metro New York is home to people from every nation of the world. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. But churches faithful to historic Reformation Christianity in the Metro New York area are few and far between. The mission fields of Metro New York are America's richest, and most neglected. Reformation Metro New York is an agency by which the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is planting and developing biblically faithful churches and church ministries in the Metro New York area. Through Reformation Metro New York, you can help promote the outreach of this program, a visit to the pastor's study, and other projects designed to further the ongoing reformation of the church. That and church planting are the great passions of Reformation Metro New York. For more information, 
information, check out the website at ReformationMetroNY.org, where you'll get a personal look at the ministries of the churches, pastors, evangelists, and teachers of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in the area, and you'll learn how you can be a part of our labors. We need your help. Here's the site again, ReformationMetroNY.org. Thanks for your interest and your help. Remember that great city, New York. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. Now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Pastor Bill Shishko here with you today with my guest co-pastor, Pastor Ben Miller. And uh, we have our monthly open forum. If you'd like to call in with your questions, 631-955-5400. That's for live call-ins. If you'd like to text your question, just put it under Pastor Bill, 516-367-0391 for text questions only, 516-367-0391. Here we go, Pastor Ben. Here's a question, another text question that came into us. Please discuss the importance of having singing in Sunday school curriculum. Also, do you find it helpful for the Christian growth of children to have them prepare and present special cantatas or even just a song at the start of, I assume the the person means a worship service? I view it as the children having a sense of serving the entire church. Others say it's something for parents and grandparents to make them happy, and this is from a listener in Rockaway Pond in New Jersey. So, Pastor Miller, have at it. (laughs) Um. I um, would say that whatever the time and place you choose to do it, Sunday school classes could be one time and place, Um, I really do think it's important in our particular time to teach our adults as well as our children the importance of music making, not just music consuming. So we're living in maybe the first time in the world history where um, music is produced and packaged and we consume it now at unprecedented levels because we can get it to the internet. And whatever whatever blessings that has brought, um, people, I think, are kind of losing the, at least at a local level, losing the art of just making music. And it's so interesting that God wants his people to make music, right. make melody in your heart. I mean, he himself rejoices over us with singing, and we're yeah. made in his image, right? right? Well, and, you know, not to get too weirdly meta with this, but it's interesting to me, you know, you look at um, J.R.R. Tolkien's creation myth uh, in the Cimmerillion, or, or um, the way Lewis kind of described the creation of Narnia by Aslan. It's interesting that in both cases, these, these worlds are sung into existence, and people have pointed out there is something about music, this kind of deep resonance in the universe where it, it, it's, it's, it's living well is so, so much uh, becoming attuned to the way things are. We actually use that word, attuned, like we want our lives to resonate with the kind of the basic way things are, and, and music is a very powerful way of describing that. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you take that imagery of God singing, and think about us being made in his image and all that, um, it, it just puts an, a, a new, um, certainly a new perspective on what it means to sing and worship, and just to sing as humans. Just It's a very human activity, and there's something about singing together that creates bonding like few other things do. So one of the things that we did at Trinity Church, um, 
over the years is we would take occasionally Sunday school classes and we would just learn together how to sing four-part harmony. And I, the first time I did this, people looked at me like I had foreheads and just <laughs> was a little, little grumbling about it early on. But by the time we finished that class, and people suddenly heard themselves singing four-part harmony. I wish you could have seen their faces. It was unbelievable. Um, and you know, we're hoping one day to be a church that can sing our worship psalms and hymns in four-part harmony. Yeah, not there yet, but yeah. this is this is a this is a wonderful thing to experience together as a church. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We think of our our covenanter brethren from the uh, yeah. uh, re, the, uh, ref, the Reformed churches, the uh, Reformed Reform Presbyterian churches of North America, who right. sing the psalms in four-part yeah. harmony. And people listen to this and they say, "This sounds like heaven. <laughs> it's glorious." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure, it is heavenly. Yeah, it is. Truly. It is. L- l- again, let me back up just a, a little bit. It's so important to emphasize children are part of the church. Uh, This is why in our circles, and it should be all of them, we baptize our children. They're marked out as part of the church, of the body of Christ. They're marked out as Christians. And I think of Pastor Ben's uh, program on forming young disciples, which many parents have used just to give them an elementary introduction to this. That's visit to the pastor's study March 18th. Uh, 2017. Again, that's at the visit visit the pastorsstudy.org website. Very important introduction. But music, as Pastor Ben said, it's interesting that in in both Ephesians five and Colossians three, you you have these some of these general exhortations. Among them, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, and that's right before. The, the portions in Ephesians and Colossians that speak to, to husbands, wives, children, parents, uh, because they're, they're, it's the household, and the household is part yeah. of the church. So it's very interesting that there's a pretty close relationship, there, or virtually a command, that within yeah. families, as well as the church, there be that singing. So I would say begin this in the homes. Uh, yep. and exactly right, Pastor Ben. You would have the people... Um, so you you actually have in your bulletin you have a what is it a song of the month or something the people right. are to sing yeah um, and let me recommend highly recommend the Trinity Psalter hymnal which is produced mm-hmm. by Great Commission Publication uh, these are uh, modern versions of the Psalms tunes that people in most cases that people can sing uh, but but yes by all means using them uh, in Sunday school. Uh, at least in, in our circles where we emphasize congregational singing, I, I would think maybe doing, doing the, the, the children's songs, if you're going to do them at all, bef- before worship, um, and, and the children joining in these, in, in, in the whole church. One thing that I hadn't thought about until a question came up, but it's a good, good point. There are certain children's songs that can be included in worship and still keep that reverence and sobriety mm-hmm. and joy. Uh, yeah. I, I think of Judy Rogers' song, There Are Six Things, Even Seven, That the Lord Hates. And and it may not be exactly what Presbyterians have in a worship service, but it's certainly biblical. And I think if the children can hear songs that they sing in the worship yeah. service, that, that will certainly help them out a lot. Incidentally, Judy Rogers... A program on on uh, actually November November eleventh of two thousand seventeen uh, has an excellent is an excellent program on children's music uh, and incidentally it's not folks 
not, not, not folks for, for parents and grandparents to make them happy, although I know it does. You love to hear the children sing. Remember, our worship is about God, um, and, and God loves to hear us sing his praises. He tells us to do it, make a joyful noise unto the Lord and sing unto him. So I, we've got just you know, a little, about a minute left, Pastor Ben. Anything further you want to add to uh, discuss this question of, of children and music and the church? Well, I would say this. The scripture and theology that our children will remember most and most instinctively throughout their lives will be the the scripture and theology they have sung. Um, And so, uh, you know, it's important that from the earliest days our kids are singing the Word of God and singing lyrics that have, you know, great, rich theology. Um, And, you know, just very quickly on cantatas, I think that, you know, even aside from a worship service, having times where you have a, a... uh, cantata that sort of maybe retells part of the gospel story can be a very powerful time of yes, storytelling absolutely. as a church, and it could be useful. Yeah, with well, the content of the gospel. It's been right. said in various ways, whoever has the songs has the heart of the people. Without question. Yeah, and that's Without. that's that's a given. Um, this is an open forum. If you'd like to call with your question, 631-955-5400, or you can text your question if you'd like, 516-367-0391. Uh, but now it's time for a, a brief message from those who are bringing you today's program. A visit to the pastor's study is brought to you each week at this time by the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches in Metropolitan New York and Connecticut. Our local congregations are in East Haddam, Connecticut, that's Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and in Hamden, Connecticut, that's Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Mount Vernon, and then also a congregation in Queens and Fresh Meadows, Reformation Presbyterian Church. Here on Long Island, you'll find Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Franklin Square, and in Syosset, that's Trinity Church, and then the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Bohemia, New York. These aren't the only faithful churches in our area, but they're ones that we can commend to you, and we would encourage you to visit them if you don't already have a local church. We also encourage you to visit our website, visitthepastorstudy.org. That's all one word, visitthepastorstudy.org, where you'll find archives of all of the programs and what we call these magazine articles for the ear. Again, that's visitthepastorstudy.org. And I always appreciate your emails. You can email me at visitpastorbill at gmail.com. That's visitpastorbill at gmail.com. Questions you have about the program or about anything else connected with the work, I invite them. And now, back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Pastor Bill Shishko here with you for today's open forum with my with my guest, Pastor Ben Miller of Trinity Church in, in Syosset. Um, I always appreciate the way Pastor Miller ministers, whether it's on the radio or elsewhere, and uh, I'd urge you, if you don't have a, a home church and you're somewhere there in the Syosset area in Long Island, to, to visit Trinity Church in Syosset. You can find out more about it from their website. Let me just give a little P.S. Uh, to the question that was asked from a listener in Rockaway Pond, New Jersey, about uh, about music. Um, I've been reading Keith and Kristen Getty's book, Sing, How Worship Transforms Your Life, Family, and Church. And that, that I've read the whole thing, but that would be a good reference uh, for those of you who are, are, are working on this. We all should be. Um, the book Sing by Keith and Kristen Getty. But at the, at the very end of the book, they have this 
a fascinating quotation. I thought of it because it, it, it refers to what we'd mentioned before. Gary Haugen, CEO of the International Justice Mission, my apologies if I mispronounced his last name, uh, recently shared with us a story about a civil rights leader who early in the struggle was resoundingly defeated and came home an apparent failure. When asked if he was encouraged by anything in the whole episode, he said that he had been hugely encouraged because in the midst of his defeat, he had become finally convinced that they would one day win. Why? Because they had the songs that the people were singing, the melodies that would carry the movement. Remember this, why? They had the songs the people were singing, the melodies that would carry the movement. And, and here's a quotation. He knew that whoever has the songs has the people. Uh, so very important. In the text, um, Matthew 21 and verse 16, Jesus is in the temple. He's cleansing the temple. It's, an, uh, it's a part of the work of the Messiah. And the children are in the temple because even as they're part of the church today, part of the temple then, and they're crying out, apparently singing, Hosanna to the son of David. And, and of course, people are indignant. And Jesus said to them, quoting now uh, from Psalm 8 and verse 2, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. And that praise is song. So there's a biblical mandate for having our children sing and worship as well. I don't know, Pastor Miller, if you wanted to add to that P.S., no, that's good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Okay, here we're going to have fun with this one. And this is a question from Dan in upstate New York. Um, I love the notion, and I should mention Dan more than likely is a listener on Redeemer Broadcasting Network. Uh, we want to express our appreciation for their simulcasting our program on Redeemer Broadcasting. Uh, so from up in that area, uh, this is Dan in upstate New York. I love the notion of Christianity having cultural influence, and yet I sense pushback from some pastors and congregations due to pessimism regarding end times. So my question is, is it legitimate to embrace cultural influence, or does our eschatology, our view of the end times, disallow it? You have any thoughts on that one, Pastor Ben? <laughs> oh my! Um, well, my own understanding of how the Bible sets forth the timeline for the history that we are living in is that when Jesus came as the long-awaited Messiah, and he began preaching that the kingdom of God has drawn near. The kingdom of God that our forefathers in the Old Testament have been waiting for and waiting for, everything that was promised to the patriarchs and sort of pictured in the kingdom in Israel and eventually prophesied as that kingdom in Israel began to degenerate, that kingdom is here. And when Jesus rose from the dead and he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, that was an announcement that... I, as the now-resurrected Messiah, I rule and reign over all things in heaven and on earth. That he was exalted above the principalities and powers, and he reigns, and he went to the Father's right hand, and he sat down, and he reigns now. And he will reign until he returns, and I think that... And until all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Excuse me for interrupting. So important. Yeah, it was the next piece. Yeah, exactly. So in Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says he must reign talking about the 
resurrected, ascended Messiah sitting at the Father's right hand. He must reign until he's put his enemies under his feet. The last enemy is death. And so that's what's going on right now. Is our Lord is putting his enemies under his feet because this is the time of his reign. It's the time of his kingdom as Messiah. That's we're not waiting for that kingdom to come when he returns the second time. It is here, and it is growing, as Jesus said in Matthew 13, like that little mustard seed that becomes a great tree that fills the earth, and the birds of the air lodge in its branches, picturing the nations of the world. That's what's going on right now. So that, I think, is a framework in which we can understand our times, good times and bad times, as all part of the unfolding of our Lord's kingdom and his gradually putting his enemies under his feet. Now, how that relates to Christianity having cultural influence, we will get to. Maybe I should stop there. We should just maybe zero in on that framework for a minute. Yeah, let me just add to this. And we did, Pastor Ben, just get a question from Denise and Rhinebeck. How can we deal with the evil being unleashed? It's overwhelming. Let's let's hold on to that one, and we, we can get to it, but just so you can be yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, as far as views of the end times, uh, eschatology is a fancy word to, to speak of, of, of the end times. And as I see it, there's three basic views. One, and that's popular in the so-called dispensational premillennial school, uh, although maybe not all of them are like, but I usually see it. If things are going to get worse and worse, um, that that's frankly, that is an absolute denial of, of what has happened in history, let alone, in my opinion, a slap in the face of the power of the gospel. And, and what I'll usually—well, I'll get, deal with that a little bit later, but it's worse and worse. Or there's others who say, think, basically, things are going to stay the same. God's going to convert a remnant of people in each generation, but basically the world—and maybe different time, but the same clothes. That's, that's characteristic of, 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 of many in the so-called amillennial camp. And then there's the view that says that there is going to be the progress of the gospel— in which the Christian faith is going to influence the whole world. And Pastor Miller already referred to the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the yeast. I mean, it seems to me pretty clear that's what it's speaking about. But, but I, 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 make, I raise a question and make a point. Is the gospel powerful to change people, yes or no? And here Paul goes to, and this is not coincidental, Paul goes to Rome which in the book of Revelation is the beast. It's, it's the epitome of opposition to Christ's kingdom. And it's to Rome that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power, the word would be dynamited, is the power of the gospel unto salvation to all those who believe. And it's almost like it's, it's a defiance of the idea that Rome would prevail. The, the other is this. When you, people say, well, the world is going to get worse and worse, pray tell, how many were faithful to Christ when he was crucified? They all abandoned him, at least at the cross itself. Now on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 are converted. Later, 5,000 are converted. In Paul's life, he could speak of the whole world, the whole known world, having been influenced by the gospel. The, in Thessalonica, these are those who have turned the world upside down. And, and that doesn't mean everybody in the world at that time was a Christian. But people listening, right now about one-third of this world's population is in some way or another identified with Christianity. Um, so, yeah. 
yeah, this is right. What what you're what you're zeroing in on is just crit- critical. Um, so how did our king conquer the, the the kingdom of darkness? How did he crush the serpent's head? Well, he did it by dying. <laughs> so we should expect that as his kingdom unfolds, this is going to involve a lot of faithful Christian seeds being planted in the ground, dying, and bearing much fruit. We move toward the victory of the gospel by following the crucified one, by, by, by you know, the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, that, that's important for two reasons, because on one hand, it chastens a kind of triumphalism that wants to say, you know, we're just going to grab the levers of power and take over. It, it chastens that, and we need that right. to be chastened, right. which we'll come back to, I think, in a, in a few minutes. So. On the other side, though, what it means is, when we look around and it looks like things are hard and bad and dark, and the enemies of Christ seem to be rising in power, we're completely not intimidated. <laughs> because this is, I mean, I, I actually, to be honest, find it a little bit tiresome, the constant Christian hand-wringing about how bad things are. And I just wonder, you know, as you look back over Christ's life in this world and the life of his apostles that you were just describing, and frankly, even Christian history since, we actually have enormous cause to thank God for all that he has done. We are living in times of tremendous prosperity and, and opportunities for the gospel because of the laying down of the lives of our forefathers. And, you know, there, there are such opportunities for the gospel in our time. And even if things are getting darker than they've ever been, which I just think is historically false, then... We, we serve the one who crushed the serpent through the cross, and, and, and it should, we should, there should always be a sense of expectancy, no matter how bad things are. And I often don't sense that expectancy in Christians, and that's, that's sad, because we, we, we believe in the resurrection. And we also, we also believe in the resurrection life of Christ that transformed people. I mean, I mean you know, Pastor Ben, I, 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 my question is, or my comment would be, Christians can't but have cultural influence. They're called salt, which it at least means to hinder rottenness. Light, which means there's something that, that gives away in the midst of darkness. We're called an aroma of Christ, and yes, we're a fragrance of death to those who are dying, but a fragrance of life. Nevertheless, it's, it's an aroma of Christ in the world, let alone what you mentioned, yeast and 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 uh, and yeast and, and leve- uh, yeast and the mustard seed growing. Talk to us a little bit, though, when we talk about Christians having cultural influence. How you understand that? Well, that's <laughs> that's a great question because I think that that uh, you know I think the Christian cultural influence, unfortunately, tends to very quickly be taken to mean political leverage. By which I, I think we somehow imagine we could impose biblical law on our society. And so when we see political changes that don't seem favorable to the gospel, we just get all discouraged, like we're losing power. Well, it seems to me that if the gospel proceeds not by the weaponry of carnal power, worldly power, but it proceeds through the power of truth and love and laying down our lives of for for the cause of Christ and for our neighbor, I, I think I think one thing we need to do in, the, in, in as modern Christians is, is begin to move our thinking away from always defining influence in terms of political levers of power, and begin to think about learning the arts 
of persuasion, <laughs> of neighboring, of taking the deep truths of the gospel and seeking to, to, to learn how to make those intelligible to people who do not believe the Bible, who have absolutely no Christian background. You know, we're, we're working in times now where there's a lot of Christian assumptions that can no longer be assumed. Um, do we know how to talk to people? We need to, I think, move away from the game of always seeking to be winning elections and getting political power, and more to the question of, do we know how to present the good news of the kingdom and all the implications of that good news for life under the king? Do we know how to present that to people to whom this is completely foreign? Um, and that may have, at times, a lot less to do with kind of these intense worldview combat encounters, where we're kind of bringing our worldview and trying to beat the other worldview in some sort of like heavy philosophical encounter. Maybe we need a bit less of, of that as we think about persuasion, and a little bit more per- modeling the life of, of wisdom. <laughs> uh, do people see in our lives wisdom? Because I'm afraid if we continue to pursue just the political power that can be so very attractive to us in, in our panic about what's happening in our country, let's say. I, I think even if we got the power, we could only contribute to further fracturing of our society. We, we need, as, as agents of the gospel, representatives of the king, to learn how to persuade people that wisdom is good. Wisdom leads to life. And even if they reject it, that, that, that still is where the, I think the, the gospel is, is going to have its... its, its its most powerful encounter with the hearts and minds of people. Do, do, can we help people see what human beings are for, what the good life actually is, what, what the common good actually is, what it would be like to share as communities in, in, in caring for one another in, in deep, rich, meaningful ways. Like that, that is what our world increasingly is missing, and, and, and that's what we have as agents of the kingdom to, to, to offer to people, that vision of good life and the, and the, and the common good. You know, what, what is wisdom? Um, I, I think if we could begin to learn that, it would, sit, it would situate us to be able to have real influence with people as opposed to trying to coerce some sort of change through the halls of power. Yeah, well, I think, I think that's what's in view. Let your light so shine before men that people see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that is being an aroma of Christ. Now, Pastor Ben, in just a moment, we're going to, I want you you to feel this, think of this, I want to mention some books, though, to people. How can we deal with the evil being unleashed? It's overwhelming from Denise and Rhinebeck. But let me mention, Pastor Ben mentioned, we dealt with what Pastor Ben just dealt with, in the October 20th, 2018 program, an interview with Rosaria Butterfield that focused on her outstanding book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And I would suggest that if you're wanting to build on what Pastor Ben just mentioned, start with that, and that would be your portal to doing this kind of thing, which is so essential. The others, over the years, there's books that I've read that have helped me grasp this. One uh, it, it, I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. It's an Indian man, Vishal Mangalwadi. His 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 book, the book that made your world, how the Bible created the soul of Western civilization. This written from a man who came to faith in Christ from a non-Christian background. The book that made your world, how the Bible created the soul of Western civilization, uh, by Vishal Mangalwadi. 
Uh, the other, a very popular presentation by the late Dr. D. James Kennedy and Jerry Newcomb, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? And that's another way to look at this and, and, and see what, what, what actually changed in the world because Christ was born. Rodney Stark has been very helpful to me with all of his books, especially The Rise of Christianity. And then uh, Alvin Schmidt's volume, Under the Influence, how Christianity Transformed Civilization. Those are all very helpful books on, on the topic of Christianity and cultural influence. Pastor Ben, how can we deal with the evil being unleashed? It's overwhelming, writes Denise of Rhinebeck. I would be interested, I guess, in knowing a little more about what the evil is that we're talking about. Um, so I'm going to have to guess a little bit here. Um, I think it's it's pretty clear that um, as there has been a an increasing rejection of um, the Christian faith and um, an increasing assertion of human autonomy, by which I just mean you know humans essentially uh, defining their own morality, defining their own reality, <laughs> you know that everything that is all the stuff of nature is essentially completely manipulable um, to fit our choices, and, you know, through, through, the, uh, through the engines of our technology, we can kind of form the world to our will. You know, C.S. Lewis, his line in The Abolition of Man, where he says, um, Pre, pre-modern man was concerned with how to conform his soul to reality. Modern man is concerned with how to make reality conform to his soul, to his choices. So that that's creating... That assertion of human autonomy is certainly creating um, a, a pretty dramatic degeneration in sexual morals, in uh, you know breakdown of the family. Um, it, it accompanies this rise of technology that we we're talking about earlier, by which our lives are becoming increasingly mechanized, um, and and in many ways, sort of, uh, we we become uh, part of these algorithms run by giant corporations to kind of form the world <laughs> towards their utopian vision. So, I mean, there are, there are evils, and, and, and how do we respond to it? Well, um, I, again, I'd want to say, I think that the, the, the good news of the gospel is that Christ did not just come to save our souls from eternal destruction. He didn't just come to save our souls from hell, kind of whisk us off to heaven. He came to restore humanity. He came to restore humanity in its fullness, not just reconcile us to God, but reconcile us to each other and reconcile us to our creation mandate of having dominion over the world and forming the world in ways that bring glory to God. So I think we start by understanding and deeply reflecting on ourselves, what does restored humanity look like? not just in its worship dimension, but in its work dimensions and, its, and in its social dimensions, and really thinking about that, because people made in God's image, even, though, even if they are completely committed to godlessness, are still made in his... They, they still have those remnants of his image, where when they see human life lived well, they see the effects of what the Bible calls wisdom. People who are truly flourishing, it resonates. And what, what I believe the, the Church needs to model in our time beautiful holiness, beautiful humanness, where our homes and our 
parent-child relations and our marriages and our, econo- our economic prudence and our, um, the integrity and excellence with which we work and the, the things that we say about even the purpose of sexuality. And people may not accept our conclusions, but when they see it lived well, yeah. it's attractive. Yeah. Yeah. Should be anyway. And 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 I think that this is. I mean, you, you. How do you combat evil by doing good? Overcome evil with good. That's what the scripture sure. tells us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, let me add, uh, Denise, uh, three things. Uh, preacher, I guess I think in terms of threes. One, because your question is, how can we deal with the evil being unleashed? It's overwhelming. Uh, first thing I would say, uh, as you think of election years, vote wisely. You should. We should always be praying for the election of candidates. Will be the best instruments of God. They're ministers of God to restrain iniquity and not encourage it. So that's one thing. Number two is really study Psalm 11. Uh, Psalm 11 uh, is the issue of uh, the, the, there's a very difficult time. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? Uh, it's, it's the Barnabas alternative uh, is uh, not an alternative for Christian. You don't flee. Why? Because the Lord is in heaven. I'd say study Psalm 11, and I'd end with this point on that. Make God big. Read your Bibles, folks. Don't don't get your view of the world from any news network. Read your Bibles and read about this God who reigns from heaven. And and in the same way, uh, good is to cancel out evil, as Pastor Ben mentioned. So the good news in the Bible will cancel out the bad news before us. Uh, And I would just just add the, the second the uh, second petition of the Lord's Prayer and the larger catechism, and with this we'll end. When we pray, thy kingdom come, acknowledging ourselves and all mankind to be my nature under the dominion of sin and Satan, we pray that the kingdom of sin and Satan may be destroyed, the gospel propagated throughout the world, the Jews called, the fullness of the Gentiles brought in, the church furnished with all gospel officers and ordinances, purged from corruption, countenance and maintained by the civil magistrate that the ordinances of Christ may be purely dispensed. And you can go on and read more of it because we're just about out of time. But it's the second petition of the Lord's Prayer and the larger catechism. Pray, pray, pray. Hey, my thanks to Pastor Ben Miller for being my co-pastor for today's Open Forum. Remember, tomorrow is the Lord's Day. Worship in a church that's faithful to the Word of God. And remember, sheep out there, everyone needs a pastor. You've been listening to a special Open Forum edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York Incorporated and the Orthodox Presbyterian Churches of Metropolitan New York and Connecticut. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.visitthepastorstudy.org. That's www.visitthepastorstudy.org. Listen in next Saturday at 1 p.m. for another Open Forum edition of a visit to the pastor's study. Remember, everyone needs a pastor.